I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Ah, well, it appears that you have reached the mansion of Leaves of Glen, where I read the hottest domain books and uh, short stories. This week, uh, we'll continue reading uh, with Chapter 12 of David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. Uh, it's the eighth novel, uh, first published in 1849 through 1850 uh, as a serial and then later as a book. And it's widely considered his most popular work. Besides when he was uh, born and when he died, do I have anything to say about this author? Uh, no. I've run out of all this stuff. Uh, look around online, it's just the same info over and over about this widely popular author. Uh, but nobody has anything interesting to say uh, for tidbits or fun facts. So I finished reading about when he was trying to be a magician at one point in his career. And uh, it's dumb. So I got nothing new. He was born the 7th of February, 1812, and he died June of 1870. So, that's all you get. Uh, we can recap what happened in the last chapter. Uh, David goes to work uh, for Murdstone and Grimby, which is uh, apparently just shipping wine in bottles, and they hired child labor to put the wine in the bottles and send them off to sailors. Uh, David's job is to refill the bottles, so that's boring. Uh, then he goes to live in a spare room at the McWeber family. Uh, and they are broke and seriously in debt. So uh, he helps them sell all their stuff because uh, they constantly have debt people showing up at their door and just standing in their house shouting at them, like as if there's no knocking. They just come walking in and then demand money from you. Uh, so he's off pawning stuff, uh, kind of gets to be known as a pawn kid. And then... And McWeber, uh, the father, disappears, goes to debtor jail, debtor's jail. Uh, and apparently you live a good life in this jail. You get your own apartment. You get to hang out and have dinner with your family and stuff. And then eventually his family, like his wife, moves in with him. So that was weird. Uh, they slowly scheme their way out of debt, uh, relying on the charity of family members. Uh, but beyond that, David is very lonely and uh, just kind of living on the streets. So with that, uh, we can pick up where we left off. Uh, since I have nothing to say about our author, uh, I have to fill in the time until the grandfather clock chimes to let me know when to shut up. Uh, oh, unemployment. I'm unemployed. It happened. I've been talking about it for a while, and now here I am, uh, my first day of unemployment. Uh, I spent it pretty much wandering around the house uh, in my underwear, just looking at things, uh, going into the kitchen and making food, and watching something on TV, and then, uh, and then I clean up, clean up the house a little bit, and then I just sort of sat and thought I should probably, I don't know, sign up for unemployment. Eh, uh, I'll do it tomorrow. Uh, I should probably 
work on the podcast. I, I debated doing it tomorrow, but then I thought, my God, I've got to do something today to be productive. Uh, but, uh, but beyond that, I'm, I'm doing fine. It's fine. I'm enjoying myself thoroughly. I spend most of the time putzing around uh, without the fear of getting a work email yelling at me about something. And I don't have anyone messaging me on my phone with work-related questions. It's kind of amazing to live this life when you're not tethered to other people uh, and fearing that you're not going to do a good enough job at work and someone's going to yell about something. It's just kind of nice. And I wish there was a way that I could do this forever. But there isn't. Like everyone, I'm going to have to look for jobs and apply for jobs and eventually work somewhere and go through that crap all over again. Ugh. Just depressing. But thank God I got my kids coming tomorrow. Otherwise, I'd probably go insane by day number two. Because uh, last night, I even sat around playing my bass guitar by myself in my underwear. Just trying to learn riffs. I'm not in a band or anything. Just playing it. Just to do it. It's kind of sad. Oh, thank God. I was running out of stuff to say. So with that, uh, why don't we dive into our story and learn what little David is up to. Chapter 12. Uh, liking life on my own account no better, I form a great resolution. In due time, Mr. McWeber's petition was ripe for hearing, and that gentleman was ordered to be discharged under the act. To my great joy, all his creditors were not implacable, uh, and Mrs. McWeber informed me that even the revengeful bookmaker had declared in open court that he bore him no malice. But that when the money that was owing to him, he liked to be paid. He said he thought it was a human nature. Oh, Mr. McWeber turned to the king's bench when his case was over, as uh, some fees were to be settled and some formalities observed before he could be actually uh, released. The cub received him with transport, and held a, a harmonic meeting uh, that evening in his honor, while Miss McWeber and I were a lamb's fry in private, surrounded by the sleeping family. Uh, on such an occasion, I will give you, Master Copperfield, said Mrs. McWeber, in a little more uh, flip, for we had been having some already, uh, the memory of my papa and mama. Uh, are they dead, ma'am? I inquired after drinking the toast uh, in a wine glass. My mama departed this life, said Mrs. McWeber, before Mr. McWeber's difficulties commenced, or at least before they became pressing. My papa lived to bail Mr. McWeber several times and then uh, expired. Regretted by a numerous circle, Mrs. McWeber shook her head and dropped a pious tear upon the twin who happened to be in hand, as I could hardly hope for a more favorable opportunity of putting a question in which had a near interest. I said to Mrs. McWeber, uh, may, may I ask, ma'am, what you and uh, Mr. McWeber intend to do now that Mr. McWeber is out of his difficulties uh, and at liberty? Uh, have you... 
Have you settled yet? My family, said Mrs. Mickweber, who always said those two words with, a, with an air, though I could never discover uh, who came under the denomination. My family are of opinion that Mr. Mickweber should quit London and exert his talents in the country. Mr. Mickweber is a man of great talent, Master Copperfield. And I said I was sure of that. Oh, of great talent, repeated Mrs. Mickweber. My family are of opinion that, with a little interest, something might be done for a man of his ability in the custom house. Eh, the influence of my family being local, it is their wish that Mr. Mickweber should go down to uh, Plymouth, where they think it indispensable that he should be upon the spot. Uh, that he may be ready, I suggested. Exactly, returned Mrs. McWeber. That he may be ready in case of anything turning up. Uh, do, you, do you go too, ma'am? Uh, the events of the day, in combination with the twins, if not with the uh, flip, had made Mrs. McWeber uh, hysterical, and she shed tears as she replied, I never will desert Mr. McWeber. Mr. McWeber may have... "'concealed his difficulties from me in the first instance, "'but his sanguine temper may have led him to expect "'that he would overcome them. "'The pearl necklace and bracelets which I inherited from Mama "'had been disposed of for less than half their value, "'and the set of coral, which was the wedding gift of my Papa, "'had been actually uh, thrown away uh, for nothing. "'But I never will desert Mr. McWeber. "'No,' cried Mrs. McWeber, more affected than before. "'I never will do it. "'It's of no use asking me.' "'Well, I felt quite uncomfortable, "'as Miss McWeber supposed I had asked her to do anything of the sort, "'and sat uh, looking at her in alarm. Uh, "'Mr. McWeber has his faults. "'I do not deny that he is uh, improvident.' I do not deny that he has kept me in the dark as to his resources and his liabilities both, she went on, looking at the wall. Eh, but I never uh, will desert Mr. McWeber. Mrs. McWeber, having now raised her voice into a, into a perfect scream, oh, I was so frightened that I ran off to the club room and disturbed Mr. McWeber in the act of presiding at a long table and leading the chorus of Gee up, Dobbin, Gee ho, Dobbin. Gee up, Dobbin, gee up, and gee ho, oh, oh. Bizarre. With the tidings that uh, Mrs. McWeber is in an alarming state upon which he immediately burst into tears and came away with me uh, with his waistcoat full of the heads and tails of shrimps of which he had been uh, partaking. Uh, Emma, uh, my angel, cried Mr. McWeber, running into the room. What's a, uh, What's the matter? Oh, I never will desert you, McWeber, she exclaimed. My life, said Mr. McWeber, taking her in his arms. I am perfectly aware of it. Yeah, he is the parent of my children. He's the father of my, of my twins. He's the husband of my affections, cried Mrs. McWeber, struggling. And I, and I never will desert Mr. McWeber. It's got a million dashes in it. Oh, you hear that? Yeah, here in the glorious state of Minnesota, uh, it's minus like 14 right now. And so it's been like this for over a week and I'm getting freezing and I'm tired of it. Uh, and so now tonight, uh, by midnight, it'll be minus 25 and I'm just tired of being cold. So I'm sitting up in my daughter's beautifully warm room 
recording this podcast. But unfortunately, you're going to hear the heat turn on, on the giant vent up on the ceiling. <clears throat> so, have fun with that. He is the parent of my children. He's the father of my twins. Oh, I already read that part. Uh, and then it says, never will desert Mr. McWeber with all the dashes in it. Mr. McWeber was so deeply affected by this proof of her devotion. As to me, I was dissolved in tears. That he hung over her in a passionate manner, imploring her to look up and to be calm. But the, but the more he asked Mrs. McWeber to look up, the more she fixed her eyes on nothing. And the more he uh, asked her to, I don't know, compose herself, the more she wouldn't. Consequently, Mr. McWeber was soon so overcome that he mingled his tears with hers and mine. Until he, until he begged me to do him the favor of taking a chair on the staircase while he got into bed. I would have taken my leave for the night, but uh, he would not hear of my doing that until the stranger's bell would ring. So I, uh, I sat in the staircase window until he came out with another chair and joined me. How's uh, Miss McWeber now, sir? I asked. Oh, very low, said Mr. McWeber, shaking his head. Reaction? Ah, uh, this has been a dreadful day. We stand alone now. Everything is gone from us. Mr. McWeber pressed my hand ugh, and groaned, and afterwards uh, shed tears. I was greatly touched and, and eh, disappointed, too, for I had expected that we should be uh, quite gay on this happy and long-looked-for occasion. But Mr. and Mrs. McWeber were so used to their old difficulties, I think, that they felt quite uh, shipwrecked when they had come to consider uh, that they were released from them. All their elasticity was departed, and I never saw them so wretched as on this night, insomuch that when the bell rang and Mr. McWeber walked with me to the lodge and parted uh, from me, uh, there was, with a blessing, I felt quite afraid to leave him by himself. He was so profoundly miserable. But there are, through all the confusion and uh, lowness of spirits in which we had been so unexpectedly to be involved, I plainly discerned that Mr. and Mrs. McWeber and their family were going away from London, and that uh, a parting between us was near at hand. And it was in my walk home that night, and in the sleepless hours which followed when I lay in bed, that the thought first occurred to me, uh, though I don't know how it came into my head, uh, which afterwards shaped itself into a settled resolution. Uh, I had grown to be so accustomed to the McWebers, and had been so uh, uh, intimate with them in their distresses. It was so uh, utterly friendless without them. Well, that's my cats fighting. Cool. Uh, that the, the prospect of being thrown upon some new shift for a lodging and going uh, once more among unknown people was like being that moment turned adrift into my present life, which a, a knowledge of it ready-made as experience had given me. All the uh, sensitive feelings it wounded so cruelly, all the shame and misery it kept alive within my breast, became more poignant as I thought of this, and I determined that the Life was unendurable. Yeah, so these people are taken off, and they're not really talking about trying to set him up with a place to stay or anything. Yeah, poor kid's going to be on the streets again. That there was no hope of escape from it unless the escape was my own act, I knew quite well. I rarely heard from Miss Murdstone, uh, and never from Mr. Murdstone. But two or three parcels, uh, made or mended clothes, had come up for me, consigned to Mr. Quinton, uh, oh, Quinon. And in each there was a scrap of paper to the effect that 
J.M. trusted D.C. was applying himself to business and devoting himself wholly to his duties, not the least hint of my ever being anything else than the common drudge into which I was fast settling down. The very next day, I showed me, while my mind was in the first agitation where it convinced that Mrs. McWeber had not spoken of their going away without warrant. Oh, they took a lodging in the house where I lived uh, for a week, at the expiration of which time they were to start for Plymouth. Mr. McWeber himself came down to the counting house in the afternoon to tell Mr. Quinan that uh, he must relinquish me on the day of his departure and to give me a high character, which I am sure I deserved. And Mr. Quinan calling in Tip, the carman, who was a uh, carman, who was a married man, hmm, and had a room to let courted me prospectively on him by our mutual consent, as he had every reason to think, for I, I said nothing through my resolution was now taken. Oh, I passed my evenings with Mr. and Mrs. McWeber during the remaining term of our residence under the same roof, and I think we became fonder of one another uh, as the time went on. On the last Sunday, they invited me to dinner, and we had a, a loin of pork, an applesauce, and a, and a and a, and a pudding. I had bought a spotted wooden horse burp overnight as a party gift to little Wilkins McWeber. Uh, that was the boy. And a doll for little Emma. I had also bestowed a, a shilling on the orfling, uh, who was about to be disbanded. We had a very pleasant day, uh, though we were all in a tender state about our approaching separation. I, I, uh, I shall never... Uh, Master Copperfield, said Mrs. McWeber, revert to the period when Mr. McWeber was in difficulties without, without, without thinking of you. Oh, your conduct has always been of the most delicate and uh, obliging description. You've, uh, you've, you've never been a lodger. Uh, you have been a friend. My dear, said Mr. McWeber, Copperfield, for so he had been accustomed to call me of late, has a heart to feel for the distresses of our fellow creatures when they are behind a cloud, and a, and a head to plan, and a, and a hand to, uh, in short, a general ability to dispose of such available property as could be made away with. I expressed my sense of this accommodation and said I was uh, very sorry that we are going to be, uh, we're going to lose one another. My dear young friend, said Mr. McWeber, I am older than you, obviously, a man of some experience in life, eh, and, and of some experience, in short, in difficulties, generally speaking. At present, and until something turns up, which I uh, may say, hourly expecting, I have nothing to bestow but advice. Still, my advice is so far worth taking that, in short, that I have never taken it myself, and am the, and here Mr. McWeber, who had been beaming and smiling all over his head and face up to the present moment, checked himself and frowned. The miserable wretch you behold. My dear McWeber, urged his wife. Well, with that, let's uh, take a break and get out of the the library here, and go into the master bedroom, where I've, I feel like i got something I want to tell you. Ah, there you are. Get off my bed. 
and uh, and slip into these cowboy boots uh, because I'm going to tell you about a new and upcoming romance novel called Only By Your Touch by Katherine Anderson. Uh, did I say Katherine? Katherine. That was weird. Uh, you want to learn about it? It's the New York Times bestselling author, Katherine Anderson, takes readers to a quaint wilderness town where a man and a woman find a second chance at life, dash, and love. Determined to give her son Jeremy the childhood he deserves, Chloe Evans has left a tough past behind and is starting fresh in the charming resort town of Jack Pine, Oregon. But uh, protected Jeremy becomes a dicey proposition when he seeks out the most dangerous man in town to heal his sick puppy. Oh, Chloe has been warned to stay away from Ben Longtree. <laughs> Get it? Long, it's made of wood. There is something about the gentle, untamed loner that intrigues her. Long ago, oh, Ben accepted his role as town outcast, rumored to have once killed a man. He lives in splendid isolation with his forgetful mother, secretly employing his skills as a veterinarian to heal the wounded animals that mysteriously come to him. Now, Chloe's sunny warmth and brave tenacity arouse, arouse desires that he has long denied. And although Ben is notorious for his healing touch, it is Chloe's hands and heart that have the power to save his battered soul. So there you go. If you're feeling like you want to read about a, uh, a potential murderer, cowboy, go ahead and pick up uh, Only By Your Touch uh, from Katherine Anderson. It's coming out March 2nd, 2021, so you got some time to pre-order that. It's $9.99. You can't miss it. It's got a cover of a, of a muscly cowboy in a very clean shirt and clean jeans for a cowboy. Uh, and he's got a cowboy hat on, and he's kind of straddling a fence and looking out uh, into the mountains. And there's a dog uh, down by his feet, which is clearly photoshopped in. <coughs> oh, oh, what was that? Uh, I inhaled some of my own spit, and I almost died, apparently. Uh, and it has a, it has a sticker on it on the cover of the book that says Special Value Price, if that doesn't say something about the quality of the book. Get worked into a lather with Only By Your Touch. Now, let's get back to the story. I say, returned Mr. Mick Webber, quite forgetting himself and, uh, well, smiling again. The miserable wretch you behold, my advice is... Uh, never do tomorrow what you can do today. <clears throat> Procrastination is thief time. Uh, collar him. <laughs> My poor papa's maxim, Mrs. McWeber observed. My dear, said Mr. McWeber, your papa was very well in his way, and, and heaven forbid uh, that I should disparage him. Uh, take him uh, for all in all. We ne'er shall. In short, make the acquaintance, probably, of anyone else possessing, at his time of life, these same legs for gators, and able to read the same description of print without spectacles. But he applied that maxim to our marriage, my dear, and that was so far prematurely entered into, in consequence that I never recovered the expense period. Oh my God, that was a long one. Mr. McWeber looked aside at Mrs. McWeber and added, Not that I'm sorry for it, quite the contrary. Uh, my love... After which, 
Uh, he was great for, uh, uh, for a minute or so. My other piece of advice, uh, Copperfield, said Mr. McWeber, uh, you know, annual income, 20 pounds, annual expenditure, 19, 19 and 6, result, happiness. Annual income, 20 pounds, annual expenditure, 20 pounds, art and 6, result, misery. The blossom, I, is blighted. The leaf is withered. The god of day goes down upon the dreary scene and... And in short, you are forever uh, floored, as I am. <laughs> to make his example, the more impressive Mr. McWeber drank a glass of punch uh, with an air of great enjoyment and satisfaction and whistled the college hornpipe. I did not uh, fail to assure him that I would store these precepts in my mind, uh, though indeed I had no need to do so, for at the time uh, they affected me visibly. Next morning, I met the whole family at the coach office and saw them with a desolate heart take their places outside at the back. Master Copperfield, said Mrs. McWeber, God bless you. I never can forget all that, uh, you know, I'd, and I never could if I would. Copperfield, said Mr. McWeber, farewell. Every happiness and prosperity, if, in the progress of revolving years, I could uh, persuade myself that my blighted destiny had been a warning to you, I should feel that I had not occupied another man's space, uh, place in existence altogether in vain. In case of anything turning up, of which I am rather confident, I shall be extremely happy if it should be in my power to improve your prospects." I think, as Miss McWeber sat at the back of the coach uh, with the children, and I stood in the road looking wistfully at them, uh, a mist cleared from her eyes, and she, she saw what a, what a little creature I really was. I think so, because she beckoned me to climb up, with quite a few and motherly expression on her face, uh, and put her, put her arm around my neck uh, and gave me just such a kiss that uh, she might have uh, given to her own boy... I had barely time to get down again before the coach started, and I could hardly see the family for the handkerchiefs they waved. It was gone in a minute. The Orfling and I stood looking vacantly at each other in the middle of the road. And then, uh, and then shook hands and said goodbye, she going back, I suppose, to St. Luke's workhouse, as I went to begin my weary day at Murdstone and Grimby's. But with no intention of passing many more weary days there, no, I had resolved to run away, to go by some means or another down to the country, uh, to the only relation I had in the world, and tell my story to my aunt, Miss Betsy. I have already observed that I don't know how this desperate idea came into my brain, but once there, it remained there, uh, and hardened into a purpose. Uh, than I which I had never entertained a more determined purpose in my life. Oh, I'm far from sure that I believed there was anything hopeful in it, but my mind was thoroughly made up that it must be carried to execution again and again and a, and a hundred times again. Since the night when the thought first occurred to me in, in banished sleep, I had gone over that old story of my poor mother's about my birth, which it had been one of my great delights in the old time to hear her tell, and which I knew by heart. My aunt walked into that story and, and walked out of it, a dread and awful personages. But there was one little trait in her behavior which I liked to dwell on, and which gave me some uh, faint shadow of encouragement. I could not forget how my mother had thought that she felt her touch, her pretty hair with no ungentle hand. 
and though it might have been altogether my mother's fancy, it might have had no foundation, whatever, in fact, I made a little picture out of it of my terrible aunt relating toward the girlish beauty that I recollected so well and loved so much. This has all been with no periods, which softened the whole narrative, period. There we go. Jeez. It is very possible that it had been in my mind a long time and had gradually engendered my determination. As I did not even uh, know where Mrs. Betsy lived, I wrote a long letter to Peggotty and asked her, incidentally, if she remembered pretending that I had heard such a lady living at a certain place I named at random and had a curiosity to know if it were the same. In the course of that letter, I told Peggotty I had a peculiar occasion for half a guinea, and that if she could lend me that sum until I could repay it, I should be very much obliged to her and would tell her afterwards what I had wanted it for. Peggotty's answer soon arrived and uh, was, as usual, full of affectionate devotion. Oh, she enclosed the half guinea. I was afraid it must have been had a world of trouble to get it out of Mr. Barks's box, and told me that Miss Betsy lived near Dover. But uh, whether at Dover itself, at uh, Hythe, uh, Sandgate, or uh, or Folkestone, she could not say. One of a, one of our men, however, informing me on my asking him about these places, uh, that they were all all close together, and I deemed this enough for my object, and resolved to set out at the end of that week. Being a very honest little creature, and unwilling to disgrace the memory that I was going to leave behind me at Murdstone and Grimby's, I considered myself bound to remain until Saturday night. And as I had been paid a week's wages in advance, uh, when I first came there, not to present myself in the counting house at the uh, usual hour, to receive my stipend. For this express reason, I have borrowed the half-guinea that I might not be without a fund in my traveling expenses. Accordingly, uh, when the Saturday night came, uh, and we were all waiting in the warehouse to be paid, uh, and Tip, uh, the carman, who always uh, took precedence, uh, went in first to draw his money, and I shook Mick Walker by the hand and asked him, when it came to his turn to be paid, to say to Mrs. Mr. Quinnon that I had gone to move my box to Tip's and uh, bidding at last good night to Mealy Potatoes, oh, I forgot about that kid, ran away. My box was at an old lodging over the water, and I had uh, written a direction for it to, on the back of uh, one of our address cards that we mailed uh, on the cask. Uh, Master David uh, to be left till called for at the coach office Dover. This I had my pocket ready to be put on the box after I should have got it out of the house, and then I went into, uh, into toward my lodging. I looked about me for someone who could help me carry it to the booking office. Oh, there was a long-legged young man with a very little empty donkey cart standing near the obelisk in the back friar's road, whose eye I caught as I was going by, and, and, and who, uh, addressing me as six penorth <laughs> of bad habits. Uh, hoped I should know him again to swear to, in illusion. I have no doubt... Oh, great. So now the cat's digging in stuff again. I have no doubt, to my staring at him, I stopped to assure him that I had not done so in bad manners, but uncertain whether he might or might not like a job. Oh, what job, said the long-legged young man. Uh, to move a box, I answered. Uh, uh, what box? said the long-legged young man. I told him mine, which was down the street there, and which I wanted to, him to take to the Dover coach office uh, for sixpence. 
"'Done with you for a tanner,' said the long-legged young man, "'had directly got upon his cart, "'which was nothing but a large wooden tray on wheels, "'and, and rattled away at such a rate "'that it was uh, as much as I could do "'to keep pace with the donkey. "'There was a defiant manner about this young man, "'a peculiarity about the way in which he uh, chewed straw "'as he spoke to me, that I did not much like.' As the bargain was made, however, I took him upstairs to the room I was leaving, and, and we brought the box down and, and put it on the cart. Now, I was unwilling to put the direction card on there, lest any of my landlord's family should fathom what I was doing, and, and detain me. So I said to the young man uh, that I would be glad if he would stop for a minute. Uh, when he came to the dead wall of the King's Bench prison, uh, the words were no sooner out of my mouth than he rattled away as if he, uh, my box, uh, the cart... And the donkey were all equally mad. And I was quite out of breath with running and calling after him when I caught him at the place appointed. Being much uh, flushed and excited, I just had to snap at the cat because he's digging into more stuff. I, it's warmer up here, but the annoyances are are many. Being much flushed and excited, I tumble my half guinea out of my pocket and uh, pulling the card out, I put it in my mouth uh, for safety. And though my hands trembled a good deal, had just tied the card on uh, very much to my satisfaction when I felt myself violently chucked under the chin by the long-legged young man and saw my half-guinea fly out of my mouth into his hand. What? said the young man, as W-O-T, seizing me by my jacket collar with a frightful grin. This is a polis case, is it? You're a-going to bolt, are you? Come to the polis, you young warman. Come to the palace. I guess police? I don't know what he's saying. You give me my money back, if you please, said I, very much frightened, and leave me alone. Come to the palace, said the young man. You shall prove it. You're into the palace. I have no idea what he's saying. Give me my box and money, will you? I cried, bursting into tears. Oh, the young man still replied. Yeah, come, to, come to the palace and was dragging me against the donkey in a violent manner, as if it were an affinity between the animal and a magistrate. When he changed his mind, I uh, jumped into the cart, sat upon my box, and, and exclaiming that he would drive to the to the polis straight, rattled away harder than ever. Oh, I ran after him as fast as I could, but I had no breath to call out with, and should not have dared to call out now if I had. I, I narrowly escaped being run over, Twenty times at least in half mile. Now I lost him, and, uh, and now I saw him. Uh, now I lost him. Uh, now I was, uh, I was cut, cut out with a whip. And now shouted at. Now down in the mud. Uh, now up again. Now uh, in somebody's arms. Now running headlong to a post, and at length, confused by fright and heat, and uh, doubting whether half London might not be at this time turning out for my apprehension, uh, I left the young man to go where he would with my box and money, and panting and crying, but never stopping, faced about for Green Greenwich, 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 whatever, which I understood was on the Dover Road, taking very little more out of the world, toward the retreat of my aunt, Miss Betsy, than I had brought into it on the night when my arrival gave her so much umbrage. Well, uh, what do we learn here uh, today? 
We, uh, David has to say goodbye to the McWeber family since they got out of debt and uh, decided got to get the heck out of London. Uh, let's go to uh, the suburbs or the heartland where maybe we'll have work and not get back into debt again. So David's more or less homeless and he's going to have to go ask for a new place to stay uh, from his employer. But he decides he's going to run away from the bottle factory and see if he can uh, just go live with his weird aunt, uh, the woman that was just real angry that he turned out to be a boy and not a girl. So he gets ready to do that, borrows some money from Peggy, and uh, decides he's going to pay someone uh, to haul his his trunk to the post office and pay the money for the post office to hold on to his trunk till he sends for it later. Uh, so he has some, some weird long-legged kid that can barely speak, and that kid realizes he's trying to escape from his child labor and says, uh, I think he's saying I'm going to go tell the police. I can't tell. I could not understand a word that kid was saying from the way it was spelled. Uh, so I guess yeah, then he, the kid just like took the money from Davy and took his cart and was going to go straight to the cops. Davy chased after him. Couldn't catch him because suddenly there's like a scene of people on the street just grabbing at Davy. I guess everyone, like it's a factory town, like everyone knows that this kid is supposed to be working as like a slave and uh, they don't want him to go. So they're all grabbing at him and stuff. Finally, he says, uh, sucks to this whole thing. I'm just going to hit the road and go find my aunt. And that's where we left off. Uh, what's good? Well, as always, it's well written. Uh, it's good that he's getting away from the child labor. Uh, what sucks? That, like everyone uh, in this story, everyone's pretty selfish. And they're all kind of jerks. And they treat this kid horribly. What do we take away from all this? Uh... Well, I guess if you're gonna if you're gonna quit your job, don't tell anyone, and uh, I don't know, find a different way to get your trunk to the post office. Don't trust a don't trust a long-legged inbred kid, because that's never gonna work out. How does this tie into my unemployment? Eh, doesn't. Maybe there's an aunt I can go run away and live with, but uh, not gonna do it now. It's freezing outside. Just gonna hold up my house some more. So with that, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, I will see you next week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most, where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. Tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people, not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read uh, along with episodes from Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a House Nuzzle. So I got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business.
can't believe I drank all of them already. There's gotta be one left. 